Jill McPherson, parenting consultant, mother of four, and teacher, here to answer your parenting questions. This week's question comes from a mother of three teenage girls. For many parents, the teenage stage can be difficult, but throw a pandemic into the mix and now things are even more challenging. This mom has a very valid concern about managing her teenagers during a lockdown. Here is Anna Lynn's question. How do you deal with teenagers that want to see their friends so badly, even though they know that it is against the rules of the province right now? Anna Lynn also added, I know they understand the rules. They're just tired of them, which I totally get. It is tough when they are seeing a lot of their other friends going out. Well, Annalyn, as a parent, I know this is a tough situation to be in. I have three teens and a 21-year-old at home right now, so I'm also well aware of the challenges that the pandemic has created. In fact, you don't have to have teenage children in the house to know what Annalyn is talking about. Am I right? All children, even little ones, crave social interaction. Many children are missing playing or hanging out with their friends, and many parents are struggling to see their children suffering in this way. In fact, many parents are suffering with the loss of their own social interactions as well. There is no doubt that the pandemic has initiated or even intensified many challenges for parents. So, what is my answer to Annalyn's very valid concerns? Stay tuned as I answer Annalyn's question on this episode of Awakened Parenting. I want to begin this by saying that I believe there's a critical factor that has a significant impact on the relationship that evolves between parents and their children as their children grow up and reach adulthood. I speak about this one in my previous podcast entitled A Core Belief to Peaceful Parenting. If you haven't already listened to it, I strongly suggest you do. You can find it on my website, jillmcpherson.com, or on the Awakened Parenting Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. What is this core belief that I believe almost makes or breaks parent-child relationships? It is the belief that as our children get older, It is our job to continually let go. With each passing year, if we believe that it is our job to slowly let go of them and allow them to make more choices for themselves, live the consequence of their choices, learn from their choices, create new plans when previous decisions did not work out, then in fact, we are preparing them for adulthood by allowing them to discover and create the skill sets that they need for when they leave home. So, how does this core belief apply to teens in a pandemic? There are some things that are obvious and easy to let go of, like letting go of how our child's room is kept, letting go of what they wear, or letting go of managing their schoolwork. As painful as some of these things can be, for the most part, we can let go because the potential challenges that could arise from letting these things go may not feel life-threatening to you. Letting go of the way they keep their room may only indirectly impact us, but let's face it, no one's health is at risk. Well, depending on how bad it is, at least for the most part. 
If, however, they're out socializing with friends during a pandemic, then the case could be made that they are not only putting themselves at risk, but also the family members who reside in the same home. I get that. At this point, this specific issue may seem impossible to totally let go. However, it is still crucial that we take the time to look at our parenting challenges from a new perspective. I often tell parents when there is a challenging issue at hand, take a deep breath and be open to seeing it differently. Let's step out of the story for a minute. Let's decide to no longer just see this as a story where their goal could be to get teens to stop asking to go out to see friends. Let's set all that aside for a moment. Because here's a place where many parents get trapped, believing that the story is the problem. We can also easily get super focused on believing that what our kids are doing or not doing that is upsetting us is actually the problem. I assure you, at a deeper level, it is not the problem. What do I mean by that? Here's the thing. When our children are wanting to do things that are in opposition to what we would like, or in this case, to what the government would like, we may think this is the problem. The behaviors that challenge us, that we do not like, are in fact never the problem. They are the symptom of a problem. Those frustrating behaviors like asking to go out to be with friends during a lockdown are indicators that there's something more for us to look at underneath the surface if we're willing to investigate further. You may wonder, how do you investigate this further? No doubt, it does take a certain amount of knowledge and skills to know how to examine troubling behaviors at a deeper level. I teach the knowledge and skill sets that parents require in my online parenting workshops, which you can find at jillmcpherson.com. In the meantime, let's take the situation of teenagers wanting to socialize when the government says not to and try investigating what is really going on here. How do we get them to stop? Let's begin by considering a different question. How do we stop being so annoyed by their consistent asking and complaining along with addressing the emotions that inevitably go along with teens not getting what they want. I want to pause here and say I am not a behaviorist. What do I mean by that? There's a school of thought called behavior modification that focuses on the unwanted behaviors and then offers parents or teachers strategies on how to change or stop those behaviors. This approach often involves implementing things like charts where parents are encouraged to track their children's behavior. If there's a certain amount of good behavior, a reward is given. Or if there's a certain amount of bad behavior, a punishment is given or a privilege taken away. Or in the case of older children, often contracts are made that the child is to agree to. If the contract is broken, there's a negative consequence. Or if it is kept for a certain amount of time, there's a reward. First of all, I find this approach very exhausting and time-consuming for parents. More importantly, it is not addressing the problem. Instead, it encourages parents to focus on managing the symptoms of the problem. It is also very manipulating because essentially we're trying to change our children so we can be happy. In other words, I need you to stop acting this way so I can be happy. I need you to start acting this way so I can be happy. 
I'll use a chart or a contract to change your behavior so I can be assured you're well behaved and then I'll be happy. It stops parents from further investigating what's really going on underneath the unwanted behaviors and unpleasant emotions. Not to mention, it does nothing to teach the child things like empathy, self-awareness, and self-control. At some level, a child's young mind often interprets behavior modification strategies something like, they don't like me the way I am, so I need to change to get their love and approval. At some point, some children will change to seek rewards, acceptance, and love, or they will be further anchored with their needs and feelings not being validated. Their child mind might interpret the adult disapproval and turn it inwards, further disliking themselves and the behaving in the unpleasant ways that many of us do when we do not like ourselves. So when a parent asks me a question about an unwanted behavior, rest assured, I will not be offering ideas on threatening punishments or bribing with rewards. Now I must pause and confess here. This is not to say that I have not used these strategies myself, particularly in the early years when my children were young. However, as my children got older, I came to realize how much harder trying to control and manipulate their behavior was becoming as the job of parenting was shifting from physical care challenges like eating, sleeping, and toileting to far more psychological care. I knew that I had to meet them at an intellectual and emotional level, and so I sought out the knowledge and skills that I needed in order to connect with my children rather than to control my children. If there's one thing that this pandemic is demonstrating for all of us, is the strong need that humans have for choice. Historically, many conflicts and wars have resulted from the strong need that humans have to make their own choices. When the ability to make choices for oneself is taken away, inevitably pain arises in some form or another. Clearly, some people have had very little trouble complying to the rules of the government and even gained some comfort having these rules in place during a pandemic, as the rules may offer them a feeling of safety. Others, however, simply by their nature, struggle with being told what they can and cannot do. Whenever we are in a negative emotional state, like anger, Marshall Rosenberg, the founder of Nonviolent Communication, would suggest it's a sign that there's a need of ours that's not being met. In this case, perhaps, choice, connection with others, understanding, or empathy. If we apply this theory to our upset teens, to anyone for that matter, it allows us to see our teens pass their upset. The goal is to not get caught up in our teens' negative emotions, but instead, to get curious and wonder what needs are not being met that is creating this unpleasant behavior. In Marshall Rosenberg's book, Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life, he offers a list of universal human needs. I often refer to this list when I find myself in a negative state or I'm witnessing my child or someone else for that matter upset. As you may have likely experienced yourself, it takes a great deal of conscious effort to not get caught up in our children's complaints about, for example, not going out with their friends. If we don't stop and breathe, 
we might easily respond with annoyance or anger. We might have thoughts like, why do they keep asking about seeing their friends? Why can't they just accept that they can't go see their friends and to stop asking? I would suggest that when our children are asking or pleading to go out during a pandemic, then in that moment, take a deep breath and connect to their needs that are not being met. Now, I know that this is likely obvious, but watch out. Notice where the mind goes next. Where did it go? My guess is it went right into trying to figure out a way they could see their friends. And then perhaps some panic, then irritation when you could not come up with a safe solution. Please know, just because we stop and connect to our children's needs does not mean that it is now our job to figure out how they can get their needs met. Just keep listening. When our children are upset, no matter what it's about, one of the best things we can do is take a deep breath and listen. Don't just listen to the words. Don't just listen to the story. Listen past the words. Listen past the story to discover what's really going on here. Get curious rather than switching into rescue mode. Moving into rescue mode always leads us into a painful place of trying to fix a problem that in this case, during a pandemic in particular, is very hard to fix. I would suggest that part of the letting go parenting paradigm also includes letting go of needing to fix things for our children. Yes, it's hard to see them in pain, no doubt. I fall into this trap constantly. Yes, there are times they need our help, but help and fixing are two different things. Personally, I find myself easily triggered and irritated if I see my children suffering in any way. If I don't stay conscious, if I don't stop and take a deep breath, my mind travels off into a mental movie of how I am going to solve or fix this for them. I will think of ways I can take away their pain. And if I can't seem to come up with a solution in my mind, then I can get easily irritated. I then look at them and believe they are the cause of my upset. They are not the cause of my upset. My thinking is the cause of my upset. When I remember that letting go also means letting go of the belief that I need to do something to stop their upset, then that keeps me in a grounded, peaceful place. That then allows me to be more effective in supporting them as I allow them to experience their upsetting emotion without needing to change them or rescue them. So now, back to Anna Lynn's example. Let's imagine her teenage daughters are complaining to her about wanting to socialize. They are pointing out to her people who, according to their social media feed, are with friends, and they are frustrated about the unfairness of it all. So, what is this mom to do? First of all, listen. Just listen. Isn't that what we all want when we're complaining about something? Usually, we just want someone to listen. In fact, we are rarely even wanting a solution. In most cases, when people complain, they just want to be heard. Second, 
This is not just about listening to their words. Can you listen with no agenda? Can you listen without your mind searching for ideas on how to fix this? Can you listen without getting upset that they are upset? Can you let go of the belief that it is not okay for them to be sad or frustrated? Remember, if you are triggered by them being sad, that is not their issue, that's yours. Third, when they have stopped talking or seem to be waiting for your response, say something to indicate that you recognize their feelings. For example, it sounds like you're really sad and frustrated that you can't see your friends. When you acknowledge they're upset with no judgment, they may respond with relief. They may also talk more as they now see you as someone safe to share their feelings with without judgment. I am always amazed when I share with one of my children what I hear them saying and feeling, how quickly their emotions diffuse. They often let out a breath and their shoulders go down. Sometimes they even suddenly sit down with a look of relief that they've been heard. The look of relief comes from the fact that their feelings and needs were validated. In my experience, it amazes me how quickly the upset fades or disappears just from that step alone. Many times I have had a complaining child in front of me who, once they experienced being heard and validated, smiled at me, even offered a hug, and then left the room. I didn't have to solve anything. Of course, there are also times when it doesn't end there, or they continue on with wanting me to offer some solution to the problem, or perhaps even accusing me of being the barrier to what they want. Once again, it takes deep breaths and consciousness to not get pulled into the story, to not respond with upset to their upset. As Annalyn already indicated, these teens know the rules. They know that it is even beyond the parents' rules. So, therefore, it would be pointless to get into any sort of mini-lecture on the rules that are beyond the parents' control. In fact, in my online parenting workshops, one of the pitfalls that I share that many parents fall into is the trap of the mini-lecture. Whether it's your rules or the law, most cases, when children are complaining about something multiple times, it is in fact nothing to do with their unawareness of rules or why they have received a no. Talking more about why it's a no is not helpful and in many cases detrimental. Now for my fourth tip, I'm going to venture into a territory that could be controversial. I want to begin this tip by explaining that as a parenting consultant, I strongly believe that it is not my job to tell parents what they should or should not do. One of my main strategies in assisting parents is to help them to recognize what beliefs they have, what mental dialogue is going on for them that could be contributing to their struggles with their given situation. Once we as parents examine our beliefs and do some mental dialogue inventory, it is amazing how things change. In this case of teenagers asking to go out during a pandemic, let's first empathize with this mother. Let's get curious and consider. What thoughts might she be believing in the moment of witnessing sad, frustrated teens asking to see their friends when they know the rules of the lockdown? 
To be honest, I asked Anna Lynn why she thinks she's bothered when her girls ask to see their friends. She shared with me, I just hate when they are sad. I know they need their friends and I'm sad they're missing out on what is supposed to be a fun time in their lives. It is important that we realize what we're thinking in the moment we are triggered by our children. This is a crucial step in finding peace within situations such as this. When we recognize our own thinking, then we can begin to question it. How do we do that? Byron Katie, the founder of something called The Work, offers people a strategy to do just that. She provides people with a template in which to question their own thinking. She invites people to ask themselves four questions when faced in a painful moment. In this case, she might begin by asking Annalyn something like, they are missing out on what is supposed to be fun times in their lives. Is this true? The point of this first question is to not to try to change our minds. It is to notice how our beliefs can create suffering for ourselves and in turn our children. For example, if we believe our children are missing out, then likely it will create or fuel their belief that they are missing out. If, however, we find another way to look at the socially unusual teenage situation, that will also impact how they see their situation and in turn how they feel about it. It is not easy to turn around our own thinking. Byron Katie's technique called the work is intensive. If you want to learn more on how to use this tool to ease your mind and become more peaceful, please reach out to me through my website at jillmcpherson.com. After we learn how to question our own thinking and notice what we want to keep and what we may want to reconsider or change, we can then in turn help our children recognize what painful thoughts they're believing that could be contributing to their suffering. As a parent, one of the other wonderful gifts we can give our children is to invite them to question their own thinking. A word of caution here, this skill takes practice. If the questioning is not done effectively, children can misinterpret the questions as to us trying to prove their beliefs wrong. If you want more understanding and skills on how to use effective questioning to assist your child, I offer more explicit details on how to use the work in my online parenting workshops. My fifth and final tip is to ask yourself, so your child is upset, why is that a problem? Why is it that as parents, we have such a hard time allowing our children to feel what they are feeling? When we are upset, don't we just want to be upset? Do we want someone trying to stop us from being upset? Do we want someone trying to talk us out of it? Tell us it's okay? Tell us just to accept it? Tell us to stop complaining? Tell us to just be grateful? We want the listener to get upset because we're upset. No, chances are we don't want any of that. Chances are we just want someone to listen. Time and time again, I hear adults, including myself, fall into the trap of responding to negative emotions in an ineffective way. 
One of the most common realizations I have seen parents make during my workshops is the freedom they feel when they realize the goal is not to stop their child from being upset. The goal is to listen to their upset and then respond in their best interest. What a gift we give our children when we allow them to feel what they are feeling. When we allow them to be in their discomfort, it also gives them a chance to learn and grow by managing their own emotions and as well as learning how to deal with triggering events like a pandemic in a more healthier way. I often use the analogy of the caterpillar in the chrysalid. I've been told that if at the exact moment the butterfly is trying to break free, someone were to break open the chrysalid to help ease it from its struggles, the butterfly would immediately drop to the ground. It is in its struggle to get out that makes it strong enough to fly. It is crucial that as parents we understand when our children are suffering, our job is to get grounded, listen, hold space for them as they work through their emotions, not to be upset by their pain or try to take the pain away. Allow them to struggle just enough so they can develop strength to fly. So back to Annalyn's teenagers. They want to go out. They want to socialize because everybody else is. They are sad and frustrated with the situation. I would invite Annalyn to remember to take a deep breath, consciously set the intention that you're not going to get pulled into their story. In other words, let them have their story. Let them have their emotions. Now just listen. Listen without needing to fix the situation. Notice what happens when you listen without your belief that this is supposed to be fun times and apparently not seeing their friends means they can't be having fun. When your teen is finished talking and looking at you for response or perhaps even demanding a response, take another deep breath and only respond by recognizing their feelings and needs. For example, saying something like, I understand you're frustrated and that you have a need to be with your friends right now. It sounds very frustrating. Next, remember, if as a parent you're still agitated and feeling triggered, it's now your turn to do some mental inventory. Ask yourself, what am I believing about this situation? Whatever the painful belief is, start by questioning it. Is that true? Remember, this is not about being right or wrong. It's simply questioning in order to see a connection between your thinking and what negative emotion you are experiencing. When you can do this for yourself, you can then extend that same empathy and compassion to your child. You begin to recognize the thinking that is underneath their suffering, which makes their upset more understandable and less aggravating. I promise you, you will find that the more you work on recognizing your beliefs and owning them, the more empowered you will become to hold space for your upset teen and just listen. The more you do that, the more you will notice that things that used to bother you, like a teen asking to go out during a lockdown, will no longer even phase you. You'll begin to notice that a lot of things that used to bother you either won't bother you as much 
or those triggering events will cease to occur. When we build our knowledge and skills and then do some personal self-reflection and become open to new perceptions, it is truly life-changing for ourselves and our children. about the art of letting go? Are you wanting more insight on how to manage upsetting feelings that come up during parenting challenges? Then be sure to check out my online parenting workshop at jillmcpherson.com. I have an online four-week workshop for parents of young school-aged children and another one for parents of tweens and teens. For those parents who have joined me to learn the skills I've mentioned in this podcast as well as several other skills, I also offer the Peaceful Parenting Program. Parents in this program have the option to meet with me online once a week as I coach them to apply the skills they learned to their specific parenting challenges. We all know learning something is one thing, but applying it to our lives to make lasting change, well, that's a whole new thing entirely. The parents in this group are so grateful for the ongoing support. I want to conclude today's podcast by thanking Anna Lynn for her great parenting question. I always admire and appreciate parents reaching out for ways to be the best parent they can be. Do you have a parenting question that you would like me to answer in a future podcast? Then email me at jillmcpersonyes at gmail.com. Until then, this is Jill McPherson inviting you to join me in awakening to a more peaceful way to parent on Awakened Parenting.